If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 47. We'll look at that this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin. Psalm 47. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, if we're going to hear from you, um, we need your word, which has been spoken to us once and for all through Christ and in the Holy Scriptures. We also need your spirit to make us attentive, able to receive what you have to say to us, able to change us into the likeness of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this psalm uh, pairs well with a scene uh, in the story, the account that's found in 2 Samuel 6. Uh, it's when King David had been given victory over Israel's enemies, most recently conquered uh, the Philistines. And, um, and so he brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into Jerusalem and danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the house of Israel they brought the, the Ark uh, up with shouting and the sound of the horn. And actually, in 2 Samuel 6, you see identical language here that you do to verse 5, that God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Uh, that's what happened in uh, 2 Samuel 6. So the psalm pairs well with that idea. Keep that sort of in your mind as you're thinking through this psalm. It's a call to worship. Um, and we used it as the, our call to worship this morning, uh, the first couple of verses from this psalm. It's a call to worship because God is king of all the earth. Worship and praise because God is king of all the earth. He's not just the king of one nation, not just the king of Israel. Um, and so it's a call to sing and to shout with joy because this king of all the earth, the one who made everything and therefore rules over everything, this king has subdued the nations under his chosen people. That's what you see in the first part of this psalm. And uh, sing and shout with joy because this king of all the earth has made some from these nations also to be his people. The people of the God of Abraham are gathered before him for worship. So he's subdued the nations under his chosen people, and he's welcomed the nations to be part of his chosen people. It says in verse 9, the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. So you see those things actually both happening in Second Samuel in that story, because God uh, tells David he's given the Philistines into his hand. And therefore, go and defeat them in battle. And they come home victorious because they've subdued the nations 
under the nation of Israel, under their king. And God doesn't just conquer and destroy all the nations. God blesses. He blesses the household of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And that means he's, uh, he's somebody who's from Gath, Goliath of Gath, maybe the most famous one, the one that David defeated uh, with his slingshot. Um, but Obed-Edom uh, receives the Ark of the Lord into his house, and the Ark um, is taken there, and God blesses his house and, his, and everybody in his house, his whole household, this Gentile, this pagan, this outsider. So truly... The Lord, Yahweh, the one true God, is king of all the earth. Therefore, you get this psalm. Clap your hands, all peoples. All peoples means not just Israel, it means you. Probably none of you are descendants of Israel, according to the flesh anyway. So clap your hands, all peoples, that means you and me. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God, verse 6. Sing praises to our king. So how do you feel when you hear that, when you hear that call to worship? Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our king. He's the king of all the earth. He's the king of you. And you should be happy about that. How do you feel about that? Uh, Are you always bubbling forth in song and praise to the Lord? Are you always feeling great in your response to God? Uh, I would guess you're not, if you're anything like me. Um, I don't think there's anybody who's always bubbling forth in praise to God because he's the king of all the earth and he's the king of me. We tend to have a lot of responses to God's kingship at different times in our lives or uh, maybe even responses that characterize our lives primarily that are nothing like shouts of joy and songs of praise. We hear the, the fact that God is king of all the earth. We have a lot of different responses to that. Sinners are suspicious of a God who would claim authority over all people everywhere, right? We're suspicious of a God who claims authority over me. I'm resentful of a God who claims authority over me and my life, that I don't get to dictate the terms of my life, that I don't get to decide who I am and who I'm going to be and what I'm going to do, that some, some God has claimed to be king and therefore claimed authority over me. I'm resentful about that. Sinners are resentful about that. We assume that he's probably an oppressive tyrant. That's been our experience, mostly, with leaders in this world. Oppressive tyrants. And so we rise up in hostile rebellion against this one that we presume to be oppressive and a tyrant, against his divine authority. Or maybe we have responses that appear to be more compliant. Generally religious people, religious sinners, um, try to have more compliant responses to God. Most of the time, we maybe cower in fear. Or we, we bow in fawning servitude, or we look to impress this king with humility or modesty. Maybe it's false modesty. We look to impress this king with our lives. Obviously, in none of these responses are we caught up to praise him with delighted abandon, like this psalm is calling us to do, and like all the scriptures really call us to do, to praise God with delighted abandon. Like David dancing before the Lord, like a big idiot. Right? And like the people who are shouting and singing and blowing trumpets, making lots of noise, because they're so happy that, that our God is king of all the earth. Uh, it's easy for people like us not to be happy with that idea. And the psalm is saying, 
that the, the good news of God's kingship, because that's what it is, it's actually good news that God is king of all the earth. The psalm is saying that the good news of God's kingship should cause us to resonate in our whole being with joyful song. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody have that kind of response to the idea of God's kingship? Ultimately, I mean, you can go through all the scriptures and find reasons, but ultimately uh, they're summed up for us in what we see about God's kingship in Jesus Christ himself, because Jesus is the king. Jesus is God's son. He's God himself. He's, He's God himself come in the flesh, the king himself, the king of all the earth. Come in the flesh. And when he came, it said that he preached the good news about the kingdom of God. That's what it said. The good news about the kingdom of God is what Jesus came to preach. You see that several times in the Gospels. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is this. It is good news. It is good news that God is king of all the earth, that this God is king, that he's your king. It's good news. Sinners don't believe that, but it's true. It's true even though none of us really believe it. That's what Jesus came to proclaim, the good news of the kingdom of God, and he came to demonstrate it in his life, to carry out his kingship in in such a good way. Um, When God, the king of all the earth, comes in the flesh, it means setting back right everything that's been broken because of our rebellion against God. Our, our wholehearted rebellion against God. We've broke the whole world. We've broken our relationships with God. We've broken ourselves and all our relationships. We've broken it. But when God, the king of all the earth, comes in the flesh, it means fixing all of that. Fixing everything. It says in Luke 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's quoting from Isaiah And he's adopting this language for himself as the one who comes to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me. God has sent me. The Spirit has sent me, Jesus says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the the year of Jubilee, uh, which is the releasing of all debts and the restoring of all good promises. So the king comes to restore our humanity In every way that he knows we need. We don't know how much we need to be restored. He knows. And he's come to do it. The the king of all the earth. Come to restore our humanity. God's kingship, as you see in the life of Jesus Christ, is good news. He is no oppressive tyrant. He allows himself to be killed by the oppressive tyrants. He sets free those who are oppressed who are especially enslaved to sin. That's a huge idea in the scriptures. We're not just oppressed by one another, really not even ultimately just oppressed by the devil himself. We're oppressed by our, our own uh, self-slavery to sin. And he comes to set us free from that. He went around freeing people, all kinds of people, people from every nation, Jews and Gentiles. Plenty of stories of both people being set free by this king, free from demonic oppression, free from all their ailments, physical ailments, spiritual ailments, but especially from the brokenness of their relationship with God and the relationship with other people, the brokenness of their love. He went around renewing and restoring and reconciling wherever he went, 
Anywhere you look in the Gospels, that's what he's doing. He's being a good king of all the earth. So like a good king, Jesus laid down his life for his people to defeat their greatest enemies. On their behalf, the devil and death itself. He went to the cross and he died to give us his own royal inheritance, which is eternal life in communion with God. He gave that to us through his death on the cross. And so it says, uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King of all the earth, to the glory of God the Father. So now... Now Jesus is not only king in his divinity, as the Son of God has always been king of all the earth in his divinity. Now Jesus is king of all the earth in his humanity because he's gone up into heaven and all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to him and he's seated at God's right hand and he's there at the throne ruling over all things. He's king of the earth in his humanity. So did you ever wonder whether God's kingship was good news. Look at Jesus. He's God. He's king of all the earth. Is he good? Yes. And he's human, this king of all the earth. He's one of us, this king of all the earth, wielding God's own authority. All authority has been given to him, and he doesn't just hoard it for himself. That kingship, that glory, that power. He promises to share it with his people. He promises it several times in his life on earth in the Gospels, but he, he also says in, um, in John's vision in Revelation in chapter 3, he says, the one who conquers, that is the one who trusts me and lives, lives his life out uh, through faith in me, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The king of all the earth has opened up his throne to you. God sits on his holy throne, it says in our psalm, verse 8. God sits on his holy throne. Jesus has joined him there. And so will his people. And that's believers from all nations. Revelation 22 says that his servants will reign with him forever and ever. His people. So, um, it's been a while since the Lord of the Rings reference. Gandalf, he tells the evil wizard Saruman, who has allied himself with the dark forces of Sauron, right? Uh, Saruman, this, this wizard who's a traitor, and uh, thinks that he's going to get on Sauron's good side, and he's going to rule at Sauron's side over the, the earth that they've destroyed. And, uh, and conquered. And Gandalf, the good wizard, tells the evil wizard, there's only one Lord of the Rings, and he does not share power. So in the devil's economy, the economy which rules this world, in a sense, the world apart from God, the world of unbelief and rebellion against God, the devil's economy, he's at the top. The Lord of the Rings, the devil. He's at the top, 
and you are all his slaves. And you can't rise up to any position higher than that. You're under his boot. He does not share power. But the true God created humanity to share his authority. That's why he made us in his image. He gave us dominion, his own dominion over all the earth. The true God created us to share his authority with us, and in Jesus Christ, he's done it. He's restored humanity to its place of kingship at his side in Jesus Christ. You can't stop his kingship. That's what Philippians 2 means. You must eventually submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But why would you resist it? You don't need to resist it. Why would you, when he's willing to die for you, when he's willing to share his own glory with you, God's own glory, God's own authority, God's own place in this world, he's willing to share that with you because he loves you, why would you resist his kingship? Why would, why would the kingship of Christ be bad news to you? More and more people the world over are coming to rejoice in Christ, our King. More and more people. And that's, uh, more than anything else, that's what's defined the history of the world since the King came into it in the first place. More and more people rejoicing in Christ the King. It's a world that's beginning to resonate now, maybe even just beginning still to resonate with songs of praises to its King. And that doesn't mean... I mean, this, this psalm calls us to, to sing with joy, to shout loud songs of joy, have a joyful response. That doesn't mean the only emotion you ever experience will be joy. Um, this is also a world full of sorrows. And uh, plenty of the psalms are about that. They're about the laments that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Things still are broken in this world, and they'll continue this way for a time until the king returns and fixes absolutely everything. You can have wildly different feelings in this life. From moment to moment, even mixed feelings at the same time. And they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive things. Right? I mean, just look at our passage. It says in verse 1, Shout to God with loud songs of joy, because, in verse 2, the Lord is to be feared. How do we do mixing fear and joy? Um, having those emotions at the same time, they're not mutually exclusive. Fear of God and joy in God, they go together. Just like longing for God and satisfaction in the fullness of God, they go together. Or anger or sorrow at death, grief, and hope for resurrection. Those things go together. But the final word will be joy. The final word will be joy. Loud songs of joy. And you can remember that when you're weeping, when you're grieving, when you're lamenting. You can remember that. I don't at all want to minimize how difficult it is to find joy when we're suffering. Sometimes it feels impossible. But the good news of the kingdom of God, which is true and will always be true, it gives our hearts plenty of reason to swell with joy, even now.
And this psalm says that our joy doesn't just stay in our hearts. It's not something you've got bottled up while you've got a nice stoic exterior. You know, it comes out through our bodies. It comes out through our voices. Clap your hands and sing. Clap your hands and sing. <clears throat> your bodies and your voices, they're important parts of who you are. Your celebration of God's kingship and your relationship with him, it isn't just a mental thing. It isn't just an emotional thing. It isn't just something you talk about calmly with people. It's something to be expressed visibly and out loud in this real world. We're not Gnostics. We don't believe that all matter is just evil and that the only good is the spiritual stuff, the stuff inside. And it doesn't matter if you clap your hands or sing. We don't believe that stuff. God made your body. God made your voice. That's good. And what you do with that matters. The restoration of your humanity, which is, after all, what King Jesus is about, the restoration of your humanity in every way that he knows you need, it includes the restoration of your physical self. So rejoice in Christ your King and let it compel you to move and make noises. And please don't worry if that's exactly what it is, making noises. If you can't sing very well, if you think you can't sing, can't hold a, a note, um, and you're just making a joyful noise to the Lord, it says you could do that. It says you could just shout. You can shout your songs. There are plenty of people who seem to be tone deaf. I think King Jesus will fix that too one day. But here's the thing. We aren't called to be wonderfully impressive people in any way whatsoever. To do everything perfectly. We're not called to, to be wonderfully impressive people in any way. We're called to just faithfully respond to our king. And our king has called us to sing about our relationship with him and about his kingship. He's called us to sing. Maybe you can't do it super well, but he's called us to sing. Maybe you think singing is superfluous, unnecessary, even kind of silly. After all, we're good Presbyterians, concentrating on the things that really matter, morality, right, virtue, holiness, and all that. Let the Pentecostals move and shake and make noises. Right? Um, I think it's fantastic that God would call us to do silly things, that he would call us to do unnecessary things. I mean, look at David, dancing in his underwear before the Lord, dancing with all his might, dancing with joyful abandon. And his wife thought he was being silly. She probably was a good Presbyterian. His wife thought she was be, that he was being silly, but he embraced it and said, I'm going to be sillier still. That's what he said. And the psalm doesn't advocate a mindless silliness, just acting like a goofball. That's not what I'm talking about. It says, sing praises with a psalm, right? And that is to say, songs that have substance, songs that have divine meaning. God gave us these songs so that we would sing them and celebrate our relationship with him using the content of them, the meaning. But the restoration of your humanity, which is, after all, what King Jesus is after, the restoration of your humanity in ways you might not have even thought you needed, it includes the restoration of your silliness. Actually, your silliness. Your ability to delight in the extravagant, 
your ability to delight in the extraneous. People don't need to sing. It's just extra. We can enjoy that stuff. One day, the king will have you hopping around doing cartwheels all over the place, singing his songs for joy like little children, like kings and queens in the new heavens and the new earth should do. So you might as well get used to it and clap your hands and sing. And sing together. Sing together. All these, these verses um, here in this psalm and everywhere throughout the scriptures commanding his people to sing as the appropriate response to the good news uh, are corporate. They're plural. Sing together. Men and women, young and old, all peoples. Come to church and sing. God wants you to do that. Maybe you aren't thrilled about every single song that we sing. That's a reality. That's probably a reality for every person. You're not thrilled about every single song we sing, but we sing together anyway. Because the restoration of our humanity, which is what King Jesus is after, the restoration of our humanity includes the restoration of our community, the restoration of our love, and singing together when I'm not thrilled about every single song, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to join my brothers and my sisters in the church in praising the king of all the earth because he's worth it. The king is worthy of us singing together. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've told us that um, one of the primary fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And you've told us what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, that is, singing to you and to one another. As we read in Ephesians 5, you've told us these things. They're hard for us to believe that, um, that your kingship is enough to overcome all the obstacles in our hearts to singing with joy. But we pray that you would overcome those obstacles by the power of your Holy Spirit as you fix our eyes on Christ, as we see your kingship in him. And we see that it's the best thing. It's better than we ever could have imagined. It's so good. We pray that you'd give us a glimpse of that, a taste of that, in ways that awake us to your kingship, your dominion over us, what it looks like to be your people, to share your authority in this world as we look forward to ruling over the new heavens and the new earth with you at your side forever and ever. We pray that you'd wake us up to what it looks like to have... um, our, our whole selves, our very being, inside and out, top to bottom, involved in praising you because you, you really are worth it. We pray that you would impress that truth upon our hearts. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.